Hello and welcome to Film Club. The first rule of Film Club is that we always talk about Film Club and I promise that will be the last Fight Club Film Club reference that we make on this podcast. I'm Adam and uh, I'm joined by... Bex. Well done. That's me, your... I was going to say. <laughs> by me. That's your name. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about the concept of Film Club, how this came about, what this mm-hmm. podcast is for, etc. Mm. Uh, why don't you kick us off? We, in I think the new year, right? We yeah. um, were trying to stay in a bit and spend a little bit less money. So um, we came up with the idea of a film club but there's only two people so I think the club is pretty grand it's a lofty it uh, until we made it into a podcast it was a lofty title because a yeah. club of two is not a club is what it really what is that just you know like a duo a film like... duo yeah just yeah just a, a regular like watching films yeah so the idea was that so we have this jar in our living room and um Adam wrote loads of different kind of categories or, or like uh sort of jumping off topics. points yeah yeah um, that we each select a film and then we have to watch the other person's film and we watch them both maybe in a night or over a weekend. Some, we usually did it on like a Friday night and a Saturday night because we are mega sad and we have no plans. Um, and yeah, it started off like that and then we always, usually afterwards, always sometimes maybe, mm-hmm. had a little chat about it and um, basically said if we thought the others was Bobbins or if we liked it or yeah. if theirs was better or if our mine was better um, and uh, it's, yeah it's kind of a way of trying to broaden our film horizons a bit Sorry. by suggesting films to each other um, and also we applied a few rules so we only picked from places where we could see the films for free or very cheaply uh, luckily that you've got a lot of options these days so there's Netflix uh, iPlayer has a lot of good films in the UK uh, Amazon Prime obviously if you're a subscriber um, and then if there's something you really wanted, we're finding more often than not you can go to a second-hand store or a thrift store or a charity shop uh, or even get them from eBay for a pound. Quite a few DVDs I picked were a pound fifty. Yeah, the rule was we couldn't spend more than three pounds because we also um, we rented a couple from Amazon as well mm-hmm. and from like if you had like various um, kind of TV services you could rent them. So the the rule was no more than three pounds because it couldn't be. We were trying to save money rather than. You know, just dip loads of cash around and spend ten ten pounds. No, what's a DVD cost now? Some rentals on on iTunes and things like that are a tenner just Is to rent it? it. Yeah, as if you would. I saw a tweet the other day because obviously uh, at the time of recording, Disney and HBO and loads of people are planning separate services. Uh, so you're going to have to subscribe to lots of different ones in future. Yeah. And as someone put it on a tweet, I can't remember who said this. They were like. It's going to be a great future where you can subscribe to all of these uh, things. It's going to cost you about £1,400 a year. And at the end of it, you'll have a selection roughly equivalent to that of a bricks and mortar video rental store. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the way it's going. Um, it's so, a yeah. yeah, so we, th- this was invented to try and uh, to try some new films, to enjoy some old favourites, to have a bit of a chat. Um, I found out a lot about the films we watched by looking them up on IMDb and things like that. Mm. Um and also it's just a way of having a fun night in and it costs you about five or six quid. So yeah. if nothing else, the aim of this podcast is to encourage people to uh, start a little film club of their own, even if there's only two people in their club. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be part of your club. But um, uh, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it was quite nerdy, but we did tell quite a few of our friends about it and they had their own, they had their own versions in their house. Our friends, Rick and Todd, they did it where they, if you picked it out of the jar, you got to pick the film, so they only watched one film, which was quite good, and they had some more, some, like, different categories of films that we hadn't thought about. So, 
Uh, it's open to interpretation, basically. Yeah. Um, we also can't claim that we're the first people to come up with a film club. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's effectively like a book club, isn't it? But just with films and there's categories involved. Oh my God, babe. I thought you just created this out of thin air. <laughs> yeah, I own the copyright of watching films. Film club. <laughs> so lucrative. Um, so shall we talk a bit about the uh, the first category we picked for yes. this episode? So each week we'll be, we'll be uh, discussing the films that we picked based on the category that we pulled out of the jar. And at the end of each episode, we're going to pull out the category for the following week's episode should we give examples of previous categories that we've selected that we won't be talking about because everything we record now will be new categories but just to give an eg yeah so we've been doing film club off mic if you like for about a year uh, and we've been through a lot of categories already but there's still plenty to come here's the jar i don't know if you can hear that but that's the rustle of lots of future categories so Previous ones we did, uh, we did films set in Italy, Mm -hmm. Uh, I had Life is Beautiful and you had Nine. Yes. What else did we do? We did um, films, uh, film from a trilogy, we did films set in the future, films set in space. Films starring Angelica Houston. Yeah, that was a bit of a short (laughs) Best picture Oscar winners. Yeah. These are all categories that have been and gone, but uh, there's plenty more to come. Films with subtitles, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that we do it about, but... um, and I, I, I don't even know what's in here because you wrote these um, without my supervision. <laughs> supervision. And it was not a collaboration. I was allowed, allowed access to sharp pens uh, on my own. You just wrote them and put them in this thing. So I genuinely don't really know what's in here. Yeah. So there's probably going to be a lot of uh, Adam skews. It's also in, an, an, an ongoing process. So we're adding categories all the time. And certainly I'll give you details to get in touch with us uh, at the end of the episode if you want to suggest categories that we might throw in there in future. So let's get on to this week's category. Yeah. Uh, the first one that we picked was film based on a TV series. Now, when we first picked this out of the jar, the look on your face told me that you thought this was going to be a very limited range yeah. to choose from. Yeah. Were you surprised when you saw how many films there are based on TV series? I mean, yeah, I was. But then I like about 80% of them I'd never heard of or were like really bad. So, I mean, and I guess my memory... it. it you go like the last sort of twenty, thirty years of good TV that you've watched, and and the the chances of the making a good film are actually really low. So I wasn't, I didn't really like my fire this one because I was, I didn't, nothing immediately came to mind, and I really don't like um, when we've done it in the past. I don't like using the internet to find to find the film. Okay. I like to, I, I it you either comes rely in my head, raw instincts. Yeah, and like in in the pool of my memory. Whereas this one, I really had to go on the internet and find, like, look up what had been made into a film. So I wasn't too mad on that. But mm-hmm. um, actually, it was quite good because there was some stuff that I completely forgot made a film of. Yeah. And, and I guess, if nothing else, there's big pools of series of movies that came from TV series. So you've got all yeah. the Star Treks, you've got all the Mission Impossibles, things like that. Yeah, I didn't even know that came from a TV show. Yeah, that's because you're such a such a young, naive child of the world. It's because you're not so a old grizzled and old husk like me. Yeah, yeah. Although, I, to be fair, I, I don't think I was alive when Mission Impossible was on the telly. It was sort of late seventies. Was Tom Cruise still in it? God no. Would watch. No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I was quite intrigued by this because I I like the process that TV shows get made into films because it's often such a disaster. There mm. were obviously loads of terrible ones that we could have chosen but didn't. Keith Lemon, the movie. Um, <laughs> I've not seen that and actually probably would. <laughs> I've seen the first 10 minutes. I mean, it's a lot of cameos, but anyway, we, we, we'll get on to the, what we almost picked later on. Mm. Um, but I like what they have to lose and there are obviously concepts that work really well as a half-hour TV show that 
can't be stretched to an hour and a half movie. Yeah, but don't you also think sometimes when you watch like a really good TV show, you're like, oh, 20 minutes just wasn't long enough. If only they did like an hour long feature or a 90 minute episode, yeah. but, you know, you'd absolutely watch it. We, we're obsessed with Staffletts Flats. And if they did a film, if they did a hundred films, I would watch them all 20 times. Oh like. yeah. Channel 4 comedy Staffletts Flats is, is a firm favourite, so. but... Is there a concept that could make that into a decent film? I mean, he, he is a lettings agent. I don't know. Don't How be... ridiculous could that plot be there, allowed to become? There are just some characters that you just feel, I feel like you could see more of. Like, I mean, I guess um, the Partridge film is a really... I, I didn't yeah. actually think of that, but that would have been... A yeah, Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't pick that was obviously because I have another podcast about all about Alan Partridge and we've discuss yeah. that film at length I don't think I've got anything left to say about it yeah we've seen it a couple of times but that's that's an example of a film that doesn't quite that that like Alan Partridge as a character is much, it's quite similar to Stat I think in this in it's like you want to see so much more of them than you get out of a 20 minute episode and then he does a whole film and you're a bit like mm, okay yeah. that's that's too much <laughs> well, and, he, and even when they've got all the time and all the budget in the world they don't always land it take something like yeah. the Simpsons movie you know that's that had they had they didn't rush it out in the earlier days of The Simpsons. It was probably, you know, arguably a decade after the peak of, mm. of The Simpsons, and it's got some moments, but it it mm. doesn't quite it doesn't quite work. Yeah, I agree. Um, I can't even remember it really. It's not it's not for me. Not for it? you. Fair enough. Um, so let's talk a bit about some of the films that we thought about picking, but ultimately didn't. Yeah. So my first thought was absolutely fabulous. Because I think the Absolutely Fabulous TV show, especially their earlier series, is probably one of my favourite TV moments. I think it is like 100% gold. It's such good writing. It's so strong female-led, which is which I tend to always lean towards. It's like power women. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's just fucking funny. And the, But the film is shit. Like, it's so bad. <laughs> I watched it. I don't think I don't think I watched it with you actually. I've, I've seen it but like separately. It. Yeah. yeah, I knew you wouldn't be mad on it. Or maybe I watched it on a plane or something. Even worse than that. But yeah, it was awful and like really heavily relied on cameos, and I just don't think it really pulled it off. I think that's where a lot of TV shows turned films fall down, where it basically feels like a number of funny sketches, mm. and then they're just sort of the the thinnest of lines is drawn mm. through them to try mm. and make it into a narrative yeah. that makes sense. When really, what you're watching is fifty sketches in a row. Yeah, and I think Absolutely Fabulous did it wrong in that they were on telly like in the nineties, and then they put a film out like in what two thousand and eighteen, seventeen or something. I think it's a bit earlier than that, but yeah. I mean, I, I we were talking a bit about this before we started recording, and I think in terms of TV comedy, British comedy TV shows becoming films, the Inbetweeners movie has a lot to answer for because mm. it was such a runaway success that immediately in the aftermath of that, you got things like uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys, Bad yeah. Education. Um, I think Absolutely Fabulous came after the in-between right. movie. I think it, it basically meant loads of those films got greenlit and not all of them were ready. Yeah. And not all of them had been thought about enough. Yeah, but at least the in-betweeners were like present and in in, in like on t- on TV then and there. Yeah. And, and they hadn't looked, gotten old. Like, uh, I hate to say it, but Jennifer Saunders and Joanna Lumley do not look like how they looked in the 90s. And I think in the film, they look at just a little bit past those characters. And right. I'd moved on from them by by the time the film came out. Whereas if they did the film closer to when the show was on, maybe that would have been a bit more relevant. But I think it was just a bit 
bit bit too late. Yeah, it feels like some of those films that the timing is about um, when they can when they can get it greenlit when mm. they're allowed to make it rather than when they should make it or when they should have made it. Yeah, I mean, and Sex and the City is another one. I, d- I didn't Ooh. think to to show it because I don't really like it, but um, and I knew you would hate it. Well, I do you know what I I never watched. I, I watched an episode of the series and I I didn't watch the first movie, but I did watch the second, but only because the reviews were so terrible. Yeah, I thought I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy how bad this is and how it should never have been made but the, uh, the first film is probably better than the second one well um, sure but that is that is the lowest of bars that <laughs> bar is on the floor <laughs> yeah true but i did watch the whole tv show when i was a student i watched them all my housemate had all the box sets and mm-hmm. i watched them all it was it was sex and city and it was element veal and that, they were all a constant rotation in our house absolute classics <laughs> um so some films that I thought about, I'd quite like to pick 22 Jump Street because I think it's, oh, in, a, it's yeah. in an interesting position and I really liked what they did, spoiler alert, at the end of that film where they basically run through all of the pretend sequels that they could have made, yeah. 23 Jump Street in space and all of that. They sort of made a great joke of how they could have, you know had a, a franchise of films that got worse and worse and worse, but they killed it off deliberately after the second one. Do you think 22 Jump Street is better than 21 Jump Street? No, but I think it's more interesting in terms of like how it relates to the TV show. Maybe 21 Jump Street is 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 more interesting because it's got Johnny Depp cameo and he was in the TV series originally. Yeah, I thought 21 was better than 22. This whole like um, spring break, everyone goes to the beach and just gets fucked up. I'm kind of a bit bored of that now. Yeah, Whereas that's I thought fair. the first one was a bit more... It was, it was just a bit more interesting. And the joke, I guess the jokes in the second one, there was a lot of in-joking about, um, oh, you know, you just do the same thing you did before, but do it slightly yeah. differently. Like, lots of knowing winks to the fact it's a sequel. Which I dig. Like, I think yeah. that's cool. That's, that's, that's the best way to do those kinds of sequels. Up I to think. a point, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was one. Um, I would gladly have picked X-Files uh, movies. Oh. <laughs> so I, I love X-Files. Um, and uh, you can listen to me rabbit on on uh, X-Rated, which is a podcast about X-Files. X-Files that I was a guest on. Um, oh, God. You're not a fan, are you, really, to be I fair, not, the X-Files? No. Um, and the movies are bad in different ways, but I would have liked to have put um, X-Files I Want to Believe in the mix purely... I want to believe. Purely so that we could have a couple of hours inhabiting a world where Exhibit is genuinely cast as an FBI agent and Billy Connolly plays a paedophile psychic priest with the same beard that he had on the National Lottery adverts. <laughs> the purple one. Uh, well, it's not purple, but it's still that little Pokey. triangle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the casting is is an X-File in and of itself in that film. Oh, but, um, you know, I do love the X-Files, so I would have liked to have talked about that. Finally, one right out of the archives, and clock, it only clocks in about 80 minutes, Beavers and Butthead Do America. Yeah. Um, I used, <laughs> I've not seen it. I, did you ever used to watch Beavers and Butthead when it was on MTV? No. So, I mean, it was... We re- never had MTV. Uh, you okay. had MTV? No, I'd watch it at a friend's house. Yeah. I just you just make friends with rich people and go and watch yeah, it. Yeah, we had like one friend who had Sky, mm. and it blew. Like, even the remote control like blew my head. Oh yeah, we used to have someone who lived down the road who had Sky, and I had to ask them to um, record X Files onto VHS each week, and I cared so much, and they cared so little, they often forgot, Good. and I had to sort of like it was like some sort of weird like drug dealer relationship <laughs> where I had to not be too angry that they'd completely forgotten <laughs> because that would cut off my supply to the rest of the series so I was like yeah it's okay maybe if they repeat it you could record it yeah, anyway yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe just don't forget next week. Yeah. Oh god, this is really awesome. Yeah. So Beavers and Butthead Do America is not a good film, but it is puerile and it is funny and it's it's a rare animated adult comedy. You don't really get them these days, I guess, no. apart from like Sausage Party and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I just, uh, Beavis and Butthead in and of themselves, I, there was a time where I found it very funny mm. and I think for nostalgia purposes. Also, it's a film that I think probably has been almost completely forgotten. Yeah. I you... mean, with reason though, I mean, we, it's it's a bit, that, that kind of genre now is, is so, it's done so well by so many other people that I think Beavis and Butthead would, would, wouldn't stand up. Yeah. But I, I like, I wanted to pick it for this because I feel like Film Club is about films that fall through the cracks a bit. True. You know? I don't. I don't feel like we're going to pick a lot of films that are the sort of thing that are shown on TV every Saturday afternoon. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, the kind of thing that is going to be on the front page of of um, Netflix when you go looking. Well, it come my stuff is often on my recommended. Oh, you know what I mean. No, so you know, <laughs> it won't be on the front page of iTunes, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 stuff that perhaps was big but has been a bit forgotten. Yeah, I thought about doing Cone the Conehead movie. Oh yeah. The Coneheads, not called the Conehead movie, uh, but um, because I remember watching that when I was younger, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then I watched it not long ago because it's on Netflix now, and it's not that good. No. And I, that, it was, it was, it's really weird. Like it's absolutely balmy, and um, and 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 also I thought it wasn't really legit because I never watched the TV. I never saw it when I was on telly. Mm-hmm. It was, it's only just like a happy accident that it, it happened to be on an SNL sketch as well. Yeah. As was the Blues Brothers, and I'd ne- I've not I've not seen the Blues Brothers the film. Right. Yeah. And I would like to watch that. I did think about it, but I thought that for this category to be to have any kind of um, you know conversation, I've got to be able to talk about the TV show as well and why I like the TV show, and I couldn't do that with the Coneheads or the Blues Brothers. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, shall we move on to what you did pick? Yes. So, I picked In the Loop, which is a film uh, continuation. I don't think it's it's not like a... Because it's, it's not exactly the same as The Thick of It. But it was written, written by and directed by Armando Annucci. Yes, and also yeah. written by Simon Blackwell and a couple of other comedy mm-hmm. writers who've, who've written on The Thick of It and yeah. other, other shows yeah. as well. It's British and um, I hadn't seen it for ages and I kind of wanted to watch the movie again. And uh, and yeah, I thought it would just be a, a relevant topic to do. Yeah. Well, it's especially interesting because it brings some of the characters over from the thick of it. Some. Yeah, three, I think. That's it. But but doesn't it also... Does it bring some actors over but put them in slightly different roles? So, for example, yeah. the actor who played Terry, Terry in the thick of it is in this as a slightly different character. So it's kind of... It's based on the thick of it, and it has some characters from the thick of it, but it's also kind of inhabiting a slightly different world. Yeah, and it's not bought like key characters from the thick of it over either. Like the Rebecca Front character, you'd think mm-hmm. she would be the Simon Foster character, but she's not. Yeah, they've they've decided to to, to keep her in the thick of it world and bring this new guy in. Tom, yeah, Tom Holland. Right? Tom Holland. Yeah, who is absolutely perfect so at bumbling perfect. Englishman, like yeah. better than a, than Hugh Grant even, who is the master of bumble. I think he's yeah way way more comic comedic. Than yeah, he plays inept so well, doesn't he? So well, yeah. and I, 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 but do you know what? I can't think of a single other film. He's in um, he was in Pride and Prejudice because you know there's a line in it where he's like, "Who would you take to a desert island?" and he's like, "Kira Knightley." Oh yeah, and he's in 
Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley and Pirates of the Caribbean with Keira Knightley. Oh, that's well. a nice nod. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, the other, I guess the other, the other main difference between the thick of it and In the Loop is that it goes um, international. So there's a whole, yeah. there's a lot of scenes set in Washington. There's obviously an American cast, Anna Chlumsky, mm-hmm. doing her greatest work since My Girl 2. Um, James Gandolfini, R.I.P. Um, I don't know what the woman's name is who plays the female. I can't remember the actress name. No, no. But again, she's really good. Yeah. Uh, the bit where her teeth are bleeding oh, is gross. particularly gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the only, the only criticism I had of this, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's a really good film. Um, my only criticism was, as we were saying about translating TV shows to films... It felt a little bit like three episodes of the thick of it bolted together. Didn't yeah, you think it was a bit had a bit of a kind of half an hour episode structure. And I think I, I was a bit disappointed they took it to America as well with the American political system and going to Washington and all that stuff. I, I think that thick of and I think they just did that to kind of chase the box office over there a little bit. Yeah, and also maybe as an excuse to get a, a broader cast so yeah. you're not sick of seeing the same four people arguing for an hour and a half. But that's all you want to see, because that's <laughs> what you get in the thick of it. You just want to see uh, Peter Ma- Capaldi, Malcolm, yeah. just call people idiots, like, well, <laughs> uh, just, you know, be yeah. rude to people. And and I, 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 that's, I think that's the only good thing about taking it to America, taking it to Washington, sorry, is because he... He is so abrasive in the American kind of uh, yeah. picture. That's what's funny. And the I, I, contrast. Maybe if that was the, the, the goal all along. But to take it there, I, I don't know, it just felt a little bit like it was a bit of a, um, a, bit of a grab. Mm, I did, yeah. There, there was a bit of a... Uh, there were some points where the causticness of the UK crew and then the kind of the niceness of some of the American characters... I liked the clash. Yeah. So when you've got him, you've got Malcolm Tucker talking to um, one of the like really young Washington chorus, like uh, Washington po- politicians. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, him sort of the, the, the interplay between their sort of offensive politeness and his offensive offensiveness yeah, is but really fun. That that in, with him, with Malcolm Tucker only, but with all the other people, all of the other Brits, it's politeness against politeness. That's it's true. Like when yeah. the meeting ends and they don't know it's quite ended, and they're like, should should we should we wait? Should we just look like we're having a meeting? And then they follow them into the toilet and all that stuff. I think there is like a the British politeness with the American kind of, um, I guess. I don't think they are that polite, actually. I think they uh, kind of are knowingly, but with a smile, kind of just sort of being placating those the British politicians all mm. the time. Yeah, true, true. Um, uh, another thing that struck me is Armando Nucci. Watching this film, obviously he 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 wrote it or, or wrote a lot of it. Um, he's a bit of a master of farce, and I never really thought of him mm. like that way before. I always thought of him as more of a satirist. But when you think about like the second series of Iron Man and Partridge that he was in control of and this and then the death of Stalin and things like that. A lot of it is very fast-based and there's lots of scenes like James Gandolfini's general character having to tot up the cost of war on a child's <laughs> calculator because yeah. they, they had to go into a kid's bedroom for privacy. Um, and uh, yeah, Simon having to deal with the collapse of a wall in his constituency but also dealing with the breakout of war at the same time. Like... The element of fast there, I think, is what makes this film so good. Yeah. And also that absolute scene stealing that Steve Coogan does as the kind of disgruntled man whose mum is potentially going to get hit by a falling wall. Don't stand near the wall. (laughs) Uh, I I completely forgot he was in it as well. Me too, me too. It was a real, like a nice, happy, oh my God. 
But um, I also read that Amanda Anucci went to the White House with a BBC, like an old BBC pass, and he just blagged his way in and said, uh, and flashed his pass and said, oh, I'm here for my 12.30, and they just waved him in. God. And that's how he, and and so he like, um, that's how he got the internal like set design. Oh, wow. He did the White House stuff. This is back in the day when the White House would let journalists in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one thing, I guess, is to, to talk about how this film's aged, because it's from 2009, I think. It is. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously politics has moved on a great deal. Some of this seems positively comfy now some of the plot devices of this film you know yeah it's kind of unnervingly familiar isn't it yeah yeah yeah. and i mean i i think you know this is it's almost it's almost like a comforting watch just to watch like a nice you know a nice gentle uh thing about war possibly breaking out but not really like you know it's almost small fry in 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 the context of what is actually happening now and i guess it is quite farcical in as well so just to go back to that point in that it's sort of a series of people trying to play people off each other and trick people and sort of get and it just goes around in this kind of really big weird loop out of the, mm. in the loop um and it and and i don't really know what the outcome is i don't really get what happens at the end my understanding is that basically it ends with um them declaring war right. against everyone's best interests They've ended up. They've ended up going for it. Right. Okay. Um, and Tom Hollander's character Simon Foster is basically the pawn who, at the beginning of the film, says something like "war is unforeseeable." Yeah. And then that effectively, him saying that one sentence, is just escalated and escalated, and I he's see. used and used and used until effectively everyone's going to war, and it's basically his fault. Mm. Yeah. And then he quits or something, or he yeah. gets fired. And he doesn't even. Yeah. He doesn't even get kind of. He doesn't even get given the status or the importance of being the person who's behind it all. He's just been used by everybody else in the film, more or less. Yeah. And uh, and then he's just chucked out at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, that's what that's why I chose it. And, and do you remember the thick of it when it was on telly? Yeah. Um. I don't think I watched it every week, but I had all the DVDs, mm. and um. Yeah. We it it would get quoted a lot. I think this is just probably this is post uni for me. So this is yeah. Uh, yeah. It was an af- definitely an after watch for me. I I didn't watch it when it was on TV, but I watched it in, on a box set afterwards, mm-hmm. and um. Uh, yeah, I think the, the I think Rebecca France character and and the thing is the thick of it for me just triggers so much other good TV that I also love like W One A and um, the one about the Olympics that I can't remember the name. Oh, twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah. Neither, neither of which would have would have existed without the thick of it. Totally I agree. And then and I also got had like real. Um, harks back to like Parks and Rec a little bit and The Office a little bit and well yeah well obviously um, Chad what's Chad, his name yeah the guy who plays Chad looks like Casper the Friendly Ghost yeah. or like a sort of translucent boy um, what's his character in Office oh god Gabe Gabe he's Gabe in The yeah. Office he's he's so great but I think he's one of those people just because of his physicality he's got to be used quite sparingly yes um, yeah and his kind of even his tone of voice he's just he's so well suited to that role yeah god yeah uh, so yeah, I feel like it, it kind of, it, it sort of set off a little firework with other really cool TV kind of coming off it or, or being similar to it or, and, and I don't remember before that what other things was, what, what other TV shows did that really. Yeah, I don't think there's, I mean, I think there were, it's almost like political satire skipped a generation because I think there was like things like Yes Minister and stuff that my, yeah. my dad used to watch, but I don't know that there was much kind of, you know, savage political 
programming. I suppose things like Blackadder and stuff had a, had a, an no, edge of that. But, but no, what I mean is like that, that this kind of obdoc, uh, fo- ca- hand cam following people around. Thing. Oh, well, The Office, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When was that? That was before, just before Must this. Have been, I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the thick of it, I have a handy little envelope, uh, was at 2005 to 2012. So the thick oh, of it... Oh, so it's was... after, that's after The Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, th- the Office that's, the office bought, spawned all of this stuff, right? Right, okay. It? And then The Office went to America and they, they did The Office and then they did Parks and Rec off of that. And then off of this and Amanda and each doing this came Veep, which we've not seen, but I really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of... A, the Office has actually got quite a lot of children. It's birthed. It's yeah. It's inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah, and, a, and across the pond, which, you know, comedy yeah. doesn't always translate back and forth as well as these seem to have no i agree yeah yeah i guess i guess um in the loop is almost armando inucci testing his political foot in american waters mm. and that then allowed him to make veep mm-hmm. yeah um and it's one of those i guess you don't have a conversation about in the loop without also ending up talking about 50 other programs yeah. so yeah i mean amanda inucci is so intrinsic with partridge right that you can't you, he, he, he it comes hand in hand, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's re- uh, it's really what I hit for, I first think about whenever I think of him, and then all of this other recent stuff and his features come in after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the um, he's just done finished the one about the complete history of David Copperfield, yeah. which is out soon as well. Yeah, would watch. Yeah, super. I've not seen Death of Stalin though. Oh, it's good, but it's it's very much in the vein of this film. Um, it's it's a bigger cast. It's people like Steve Buscemi and stuff mm. like that, and obviously it's all based in 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 Soviet Russia. Um, but it's um. It's it's along similar lines in that right. it's you know it's a political satire that's also a farce you know it's again it's it's a scramble for power and mm. it's people misunderstanding and manipulating one another oh, it's, okay. it it is it's, it's I wouldn't say it's much of a muchness because it's it's very different and it's a great film but certainly Armando Nucci is making films in a vein same but different yeah yeah uh, but in the loop was great and I I'd forgotten how much I loved it I'd forgotten a lot of the great moments and that Steve Coogan's in it and that mm. you know a lot. A lot more of your favourites from the thick of it than I'd thought were in it, even if they're not playing the same characters. Mm. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Great. Uh, well, obviously, at the end of the episode, get on to which one is the best, <laughs> <laughs> officially. Um, so mine, I looked down a long list of great TV shows made into films, but I saw this on a list and I knew that I couldn't pick anything else because, for better or worse, it's my favourite film of all time. So my choice was... The 1992 Penelope Spheris directed Wayne's World, um, which is based on a TV show in that Wayne's World originally started as sketches on Saturday Night Live. Um, but that's not how I found it, because Saturday Night Live, I don't think was even broadcast in the UK. It still isn't. No. Before the internet, I don't think many people in the UK really knew about it. You know, it, I used to watch it on YouTube when I was a student. Okay, yeah. But that's it. In sort of the, the Will Ferrell days. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I definitely didn't didn't watch Wayne's World on it. No, no, and I I think when once Wayne's World the film came out and was such a big success, BBC Two would show just the five minute Wayne's World sketches on their own. Did they? Yeah, at like five to six on a on a on a weekday night. So Did I would, they? so I ended up watching the sketches after I'd watched the film. Wait, five to six. That is that would have been. Prime time, it's neighbours. Just neighbors. after neighbours or yeah. before neighbours? Yeah, yeah. It was only for like it was only for about six months I think they did it. Um 
Neighbours was on at 5.35, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then Home Away, Home and Away was on at 6. But then Home and Away left and then it was The Simpsons at 6. Mm-hmm. So you squeezed in a Wainswell between Neighbours and oh, yeah, Home was, and Away. Well, it was like a three-minute... They showed the three-minute sketch on TV. Wow. Uh, yeah. On yeah. BBC Two, you must have been channel hopping all over the place. I know, but what a gold run. One to two Neighbours, Wainswell. Fuck. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> 90s TV scheduling aside... The reason I love Wayne's World is that it is so silly and it's deliberately messy, but I do think there's a lot more to it than people give it credit for. When did it come out, sorry? 1992. Right. Um, And they rushed the sequel out. I think the sequel was out in 93 or 94. Wow. We won't talk too much about Wayne's World 2, but it's very similar to the first film and I think that they rushed it out a bit too quickly. It is definitely not as good as the first film. I think that's fair. Yeah. 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 Um... I also think it's the sort of film that wouldn't be made now for so many reasons that we can get into. But also, like, beyond the silliness and the jokes and, you know, and Garth, you know, doing a foxy lady dance and all that kind of thing, it does tell you a lot about uh, friendship and there's a lot about the difference between art and commerce and selling mm. out and and there's lots of knowing winks. Like, within about two minutes of the film starting, Wayne's broken the fourth wall to give you the rundown of his life so far and how he's got a collective extensive collection of name tags and hairnets because he's only ever done shitty jobs and things like that um it trashes a lot of movie conventions around product placement there's the whole section where Gus head to toe in Reebok and once they've got their show on air and they're kind of running through these like advertising slogans and and kind of making fun of that whole thing um the end of the film there's multiple endings Mm -hmm. uh which is sort of them taking the piss out of people having to screen test the end of films Mm -hmm. and change them to make people audiences happy subtitling in movies all those kinds of things and i think those are all things that get played around with routinely these days but in 1992 Mm. i think that was actually quite bold um, and surprising and i think if it hadn't come from a format like snl it probably wouldn't have worked so well I wonder how much creative control they had over it as well. Did they write it? Um, I think so. But also, it was it was a lot of people's first film. It was Mike Myers' first film. Yeah. Penelope Spheris, who's directing it, was her first feature. And I, I got the impression there were a lot of um, there was a lot of bumping heads oh. and a lot of experimenting. But I think we got a weirder, better film for it. Yeah. I think it's sort of ramshackle charm wouldn't have happened if everyone was like old pros. I agree. Um, it's also PG. Is it? Yeah, which I think so, which I think is it's very rare for a comedy not focused at kids to get that rating. I don't think this is a children's film, really. No. Um, and I think, yeah, it's a film for, for a lot of reasons wouldn't happen now. I think the irony is, in the film, you've got um, Noah Vanderhoff, the sponsor, and they're trying to sell him Wayne's World as a show that he can you know, get behind. And he's like, I don't know what this is. What is this? I think that's a conversation that's happening for real now in 2019 uh-huh. with films like this. Where people are like, I don't, you know, it's they find the references too obscure and they find the the humour too specific. And I'm sure there are people who could bankroll the next Wayne's World who were like, I'm not going to sponsor this. What is yeah. this? You know, they just don't. It's too weird. It is weird. Do, do you know what? When, 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 do, how old were you when you first saw it? Well, I don't think I saw it when it came out. So in 92, oh God, I have to do some quick maths now. Uh, I would have been 10. Do you need a calculator? No, it's fine. It's 10 years after the year I was born. I would have been 10. Um, But I didn't watch it when it first came out. I think I got it on video and then later bought it on DVD, then bought the soundtrack on CD and cassette, bought a life-size film poster, screened it for my 27th birthday 
uh, bought the book which we've got here while we're recording. Um, Shit, yeah. you are such a saddo. I went. Um, I went. I've I've seen Wayne's World. I would say conservatively, I would guess at least two hundred times. I can't remember when I first saw it, but it definitely went over my head because um, I am much younger than you are. You are old, <laughs> sure. um, and uh, so I didn't didn't see it when it first came out, um, but. I think it is actually something that gets better every time you see it. Yeah, don't you... We're aged... We're at the right ages, respectively, that it reveals jokes the more you see it. So the first few years, weren't you just laughing at, like, look at who are these silly guys, like, playing with the equipment when they should be getting ready to rehearse? Yeah, and and I don't know about you, but it's like an insight into that, like... 90s America, mm. which I didn't really know much about, like people with basements, blew my brain. Yeah, the fact that I, I didn't really know what cable TV was, like what cable channel 10 was, that people could do public access. Yeah, yeah. and like there were obviously characters in it that you recognise, like the Benjamin character and uh, the Noah character and stuff. But I didn't, and and it was so surreal and stupid, you know, when he talks to the dog and stuff. Like there are parts in it where you kind of just have to roll your eyes, but then mm-hmm. there are other parts that are so surreal and stupid that you just like love. Yeah. And it, it's it's such a blend of like childish slapstick and adult yeah. you know, like like them moving in and out of the road to play hockey is such a basic and they're shouting game on to who yeah. like there's only two of them there you know that sort of thing but can't you imagine uh, like uh, well after seeing that film though it did it kind of culturally started to in, in, infect like the rest of the of our kind of teenage years right? yeah like game on game off and car yeah. and stuff way no way yeah. Like, uh, the like, Grey Poupon thing. I mean, God, fuck. And and the Queen scene, the ho- that whole Queen sequence. I mean, mm. I saw that the other day when there was like some tribute to Queen. Yeah. Um, it, it, that that single handedly turned Queen's career around because they were in a bit of a slump in the sort of, in the nineties. Like people didn't care about Queen anymore. And then that Mike my I read Mike Myers fought for that song to be the song they used. The studio were trying to get them to use Guns N' Roses and they refused. They wanted oh. Queen. Which is because I do think there is something slightly weird because it's obviously it's meant to be a film about like hard rock and heavy metal fans. But if you listen to a lot of the music in the film, it's really not that heavy. Nice. They obviously, they've obviously had to soften the rock for it to be like a mainstream film. It's mega hair, and even when Alice Cooper is in it, it's it's like the Frankenstein song. Yeah, very soft. Like you know, there is there's much heavier metal. If they were genuine heavy metal fans, you would you know it would be it would be like Metallica in the car, yeah. it wouldn't be Queen. But and they go to the Gasworks, it's like a metal bar, and and when, yeah. what's Cassandra's band? Oh, Crucial Taunt. Yeah. yeah, you listen to half of Cassandra's band songs. They're basically like the lightest power ballads. Yeah. They're really not heavy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's basically just kind of singing love songs. Yeah. But then every now and again, she wails, bro. <laughs> exactly. Um. But yeah, it's a film where I, I, I got a lot more of the jokes as we went on, you know. I didn't get like when they're ordering Chinese and he tries to order the cream of some young guy. I didn't yeah. get that until like the fifth or sixth <laughs> watch. The Grey Poupon thing is like a parody of an American mustard advert, which I didn't get until much later no. on. Um, I thought at first it was like cutting the mustard. That oh, was okay. some joke about someone farting. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's usually the first place my brain goes. Sure. Is this a fart joke? Yes, it is. Great. Probably. Um, yeah, so there were good. There's a good decade where every time I watched it, it was like someone giving me another little present, like another yeah. joke that you that you could get, and the kind of the parodies of things, just things like um, like Glenn, the manager of Stan Makita's Donuts, his his like dark monologues in the middle of this comedy film about how he's killed a man in the mm. heat of passion and you know he he does that again in the second film as well the gun rack as well like that whole scene i think i think if you ask most people they could recite it yeah 
A gun rack. A gun what rack am I going to do yeah. with a gun rack? I don't own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently that's based on a true story as well. Mike Myers had a girlfriend and they were, I think, going through a rough patch or something and she got him a gun rack, but it was as a joke. She thought it would be funny that he would like see that it's a ridiculous gift but he didn't really find it that funny <laughs> and apparently he had to call her after the film came out and apologize because she felt that she'd been basically painted as a psych you know they call stacy a oh. psycho hose beast that's one thing actually one thing i was because i've watched it so much wayne's world I was, I was looking for things that aren't good um because it's always felt to me like a bit of a perfect film i would say that the depiction of women in wayne's world has aged terribly the only women in this film are like the kind of Dolly Bird, executive wife of Noah Vanderhoff. Cassandra, who is, I mean, like, she's assertive and she knows what she wants, but she is objectified at every turn and in bikinis pretty much the whole film. Stacey, who effectively is... But she is a minority. Yes, true. At least they put someone who's Cantonese in that role, which which would be unusual, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And then then there's Stacey, who is obviously just depicted as a psychopathic ex-girlfriend. And, like, Heather, the foxy lady, like, she's just... She doesn't even even say anything. She doesn't even get a word. No, exactly. But then, and then in the second one, I mean, the, probably the, my favourite scene is when he's with that model. What's um, when he's like, "Can I be frank?" Oh yeah, with um, with Kim Basinger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She's like, "Can I be frank?" He's like, "Okay, can I still be girl?" Yeah, it's nice. I still say that. I think that's such a good joke. Um, and I mean, there's yeah, there's lots going on. There's also like Wayne's Cantonese, Terry's repressed homosexuality. I like you know, there's a lot, oh, yeah. of, there's a lot of good and like you know, Phil. Like at the start of the film, they're picking Phil up from a park bench, and he's like puking everywhere. And by the end of the film, he's like, you know, part of this team. Yeah, I found I didn't. I thought he was a bit of a peripheral character they could have done without. To be honest, I guess they don't. Yeah, they don't make much of him. I I think his whole joke is when he's like, "Let me go in the car," and you think he's just about he's about to be sick, but and then he starts singing, yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. yeah. Um, and I I like the way that they don't they're not even subtle about trying to get plot points in. Like when they get the information about Frankie Sharp from the security guard, Chris Farley's security guard outside the yeah. concert, when they're talking to Officer Kaharski at the start of the film and he's telling them about how he's had to do like body cavity searches yeah. and then they get him to do that to Benjamin. Yeah, at the end it's of the pretty film. unashamed, isn't yeah. it? And I, I think that's fine. Like I'm, you don't, I'm not expecting any kind of like seamless film here. I yeah. just, I, like, literally you're just eating up them on screen and seeing them. And let's talk about Rob Lowe as well. Uh, Damn, he's young in this, man. He's young in this. But this is also his road to redemption because this is after Rob Lowe's like sex tape scandal. Is it? I thought it was pre. No, this is one of the... He was was big in the 80s and then he had a sex tape scandal and then this is one of the kind of one of the first things he did oh. after that. Um, I mean, he's really good as a, as he's the straight man. He's the only straight man in this film, really. Yeah. And he maybe came, Noah. Yeah. He, well, he, the thing is, Noah is unknowingly, but Benjamin is knowingly. He is a beautiful man, right? He has the most extraordinary skin. Oh, Rob Lowe. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, without sounding like total creepy, like I want to wear your skin, Rob Lowe, but he has amazing skin in this in this film, yeah. like he, he did... I mean, he's also a very good actor in it. But sure. yeah, I know what you mean. Number one, great skin. Number two, <laughs> sure. he can speak Cantonese. Number three, mm. he wears a pair of balloon trousers like nobody's <laughs> business. He can wear a balloon trouser with like a short. Um, I think in America you'd call it a tennis jacket or a sports sports jacket. Mm-hmm. Like no one's business. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that guy. Well done, Rob Lowe. Yeah. Also, people following the Rob Lowe timeline, this is a point that was made on IMDb, so I can't claim it as my own, but 
He obviously ended up in Parks and Recreation, one of our favourite shows, where he's more or less got a catchphrase. But this film is where you first hear him do it because when he's talking, yeah, when he's talking to Wayne and Garth, in that they go to the sort of um, cocktail bar to get him to sign the contracts, he says, "I showed your show to Noah Vanderhoff." And he literally jumped out of his seat. No! And that's the first time you hear that literally, which then goes on to become like his catchphrase in Parks and Rec. I didn't even notice that. There you go. Shit, man. And I'm pretty attuned to any Parks and Rec association. Yeah. Um, that I didn't, know, didn't notice. Got a couple more facts for you as well. Again, courtesy of IMDb. Um, he goes to play the riff from Stairway to Heaven when he's going to try out the Fender Stratocaster. And yeah. the guy says, no, you can't play it. That actually isn't even the riff to Stairway to Heaven. They weren't allowed to even use the first five notes of the song. So it's just a generic riff. How does the Stairway to Heaven go? Um, oh, I'll have to play it to you. I just called it The Stairway the to Heaven. The Stairway to Heaven <laughs> by the Led Zeppelins. Um, in the broadcast version, they uh, they changed a lot of the quotes. So uh, when Wayne goes to Gasworks, he's like, who's playing today? And then Tiny, played by Meatloaf, goes, Jolly Green Giants, Stinky Beatles, <laughs> instead of Shitty Beatles. Um oh. Uh, and then Garth at the end when he's talking to Russell he goes Benjamin's no one's friend if he were an ice cream flavour he'd be Jamocha Almond Idiot <laughs> uh. instead of Pralines and Dick which I thought was quite funny um, we were debating when we saw Dana Carvey Garth dr- doing the drum solo uh, yeah. in Wayne's World whether he actually did it and he did, did it really he? really is his drumming he's a great drummer um, and my final little fact was Noah Vanderhoff uh, is played by Brian Doyle Murray a familiar name because he's Bill Murray's brother. Really? Yeah, never knew that. And he's in loads of other stuff. I've seen him in all kinds of like TV shows. Wow, it doesn't look like Bill Murray though. Mm. Wow. I wonder why Bill Murray wasn't in it. Yeah, that would have been nice. Right up his alley. Well, when he's, he, I guess maybe he was, was Bill Murray SNL? He was? Yeah. Yeah, so he's kind of, he's a few decades out of SNL so he might have, maybe he would have seen it as a step back. I don't know. Maybe, I guess. But he was doing, he was doing movies yeah at that time right and i guess this this is part of a long tradition of snl sketches turned movies for good or bad how so many you, can you list the blues brothers cane heads mcgruber mcgruber yes anchorman yes um uh any well pop star never stop never stopping because it's the lonely island of course um i mean there's lots with with alumni like Bridesmaids, but not based on a sketch. No. Um, and Ghostbusters, obviously, has got a lot of SNL, people, the, the female reboot. No, I think you, I'm talking about like based on a sketch. Yeah. Oh, there are loads. I think we're going to show ourselves up here because yeah. we're not American and we haven't watched SNL like no. a lot of people have. But um, I read that Wayne's World, this might have been knocked out of the park since Anchorman, but Wayne's World was the most lucrative SNL movie of all time. Right. Over 100 million. Well, we'll get into box office at the end of the episode. Right, but right. yeah, it's a big one. Uh, and rightly so. It's the greatest film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> you do love Wayne's World. Uh, uh, it is kind of um, alarming. Uh, if you had to choose between Wayne's World and X-Files, what would you choose? Oh, what, X-Files has in the entire series versus Wayne's World the film? Yeah, Wayne, X-Files, the awful, terrible entire series, and Wayne's World, the film. <laughs> Still Wayne's World. Good. There is there, there, there are very few feelings of comfort, like the comfort of sitting down and hearing uh, Noah's, Noah Vanderhoff's uh, arcade advert fading <laughs> at the beginning of Wayne's World. Even the font, yeah. I like. I like everything about it. The DVD menu is cool as oh, well. Yeah. Like the, the Aurora. Set up like cable TV, like yeah. a cable TV menu. 
Yeah, yeah. they really they did think of everything. It's really good. But yeah, this is I I've said to you many times. I'm never going to be the sort of person that runs a marathon. I don't think it's not for me. But if I were ever to do anything for charity, it would be reading through the entire script of Wayne's World from memory, start to finish. I reckon I could do it. And I'll tell you what I always tell you is no one will pay you to do that. If someone would pay me to do that, or give you an email address at the end of the episode, I would love to do that. Babe, no Even the Cantonese parts I could do. No one will pay you for it. Okay, we'll, we'll pick this up another time. Just to go back, my one of my favourite scenes in it is when they're doing the countdown, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it will always crack me up. When they're like, when they're five, four, three... And at first, then they mouth the numbers. Guys, you're nodding. That bit, yeah. <laughs> so good. And then when you see their faces, like, trying not to nod yeah. or do the numbers, and they're like, fuck you, man. Yeah. Watch, I mean, I guess that's that's the thrust of so much of what's good about Wayne's World, is it's 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 the friction of them coming up against, like, the, the, world, the world of, yeah, of showbiz TV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So good. It really is. Them playing in the in in the box in the booth and stuff. Oh, it's just it really it, every there's scene after scene of good good stuff, and there are also scene after scene of like fillers. There's loads of driving shots in it that I'm like. Yeah, lots of establishing shots of... around Chicago. Yeah. Like, why do you need like why do you need 15 seconds looking at that stack of cars? Yeah. That's in, you know, I guess I guess it's to place it in Chicago, I but suppose. yeah, there's like, a there's lot of filler. A lingering shot of them driving past White Castle, the fast food restaurant, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And like, there's loads of like rearview mirror shots, yeah. And, and we, where I'm not really seeing, it's not, I'm not seeing anything. It's so long. I wondered if it was perhaps like a homage to an American show we don't know. Like, really? there's that whole bit where they go to Milwaukee and they do like a Laverne and Shirley, like parody. I've not seen Laverne and Shirley, so it yeah. was kind of lost on me. And apparently, that happened a lot when they sold this film into France. Like French people were like, "Why are they going around a brewery?" And like, they didn't quite get it. Yeah, and that bit where they open the doors on each other and stuff. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. But still a great Some film. things you're just not supposed to get. No, exactly. And, you know, why don't you do a little bit of the work? Why does the film have to explain everything to you? I thought you were talking to me. No, no. <laughs> Shut up, you do no, the work. No, people in general, just I'll people. Um, so, shall we compare and contrast these films? I've... What are we basing this compare and contrast well, on? Well, here's what I thought we could do. I'll let you know how much they cost and how much they made, yeah. uh, what the reviews, uh, the total review score is on IMDb. Uh-huh. And I think we should just have it out for which is the best film each week. Uh, okay, fine. We may agree, we may disagree, and then we can ask the people to vote on Twitter as yeah. well. Yeah, can we just only ever use IMDb, not Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes? Because I think Rotten Tomatoes is uh, not as good. Well, that's our lucrative Rotten Tomatoes sponsorship deal down the pan, isn't it? <laughs> well, Rotten Tomatoes is American as well. Yeah, so yeah. everything is based on US dollars and American reviews. Okay. And so when you have something like In The Loop, when they review it on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. it is obviously going to be bullshit because Americans don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, waving goodbye to all our American listeners. No, in that instance... Um, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like yeah. In The Loop is somewhat more of an independent... And, and a bit more of an international uh, mm. feature. Yeah. Uh, that said, I'm not sure IMDb is going to help you much because most of these figures are also in US dollars. But yeah, anyway. some of mine are as well, I guess. So, In the Loop was made for a bu- an estimated budget of £612,000, which is much less than I thought, given the given the James Gandolfini's in it, and that seems quite low to me. £612,000. Yeah, so just yes. over half a million to make the whole film. Yeah. That, that must be a typo, surely. No, I can believe that. Wow. Yeah. What are they giving Chris Addison? Like a bag of peanuts? I reckon they would have just, yeah, it would have been low low budget for the cast, yeah. Okay. Uh, the opening weekend in the US, it made 191,000 uh, US dollars. Uh, and to date worldwide, it's made over seven and a half million dollars. Yeah, that's cool, isn't it? Respectable, yeah. Mm. Uh, 
the reviews, the average review is 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb yeah. for that, which I think is fair. I think you could go a bit higher, to be, to be honest. I yeah. Think it's slightly better than that. Wayne's World budget estimated $20 million, so they did put a lot wow. into it as a, a bit of a leap of faith. I bet those two got paid a fortune for it as well. Opening weekend in the US, it made $18 million back, so almost its entire budget straight away. Cumulative worldwide gross, $183 million. Shit. That is a smash. That is a smash. Mm. And I'm, a I'm, smash. I'm so pleased that a film this quirky and weird and about alternative people couldn't be could be so massive yeah. probably couldn't be now but was then and you know what I think I I can I will accept that Wayne's World is the better film because it still stands up yeah what nearly 30 years later it's hard to compare and contrast isn't it but I feel like I feel like in the loop if you're if you're a fan of that kind of political satire and farce if you you know grown up on Dad's Army and Blackadder and things like that yeah. you will love it I think it's absolute catnip for a much smaller proportion of people whereas Wayne's World despite it have being full of niche references and being very like weird it's mass isn't it everybody can enjoy yeah, it yeah the thing with the thick of it as well is it's wall-to-wall dialogue really and i've got a lot of respect now for the the degree of writing that must have gone into it i think i read somewhere that the script the, the initial script was was so so long and the first cut was like four hours long or something so mm. to cut it down into a, what 90 minutes or however long it is um, must have been so so hard when there's that much dialogue, and I've, I really respect that kind of, that 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 degree of screenwriting. Yeah, I think it's, but so it's, it's totally different to Wayne's World. Wayne's World's really physical, really visual. A lot of it is like wink wink at the camera, and yeah. think of it isn't like that at all. No, I mean this is going to be a common problem, isn't it, on this podcast that we're going to be we're going to be forcing ourselves to compare incomparable films. Yeah. But... That's why I don't think we. I think all we can just say is which one. Which, which one would you watch again? Like now. Yeah, I mean it's Wayne's. It's always yeah, Wayne's. And I think I would choose that too because think of it as hard work. You know, it, it's. I think it's a bit long, and um, without if you took all the fuckety buys out of it, which are obviously hilarious, and and I will always laugh the moment someone says cunt on a t- on a film or anything oh, like that. Oh, especially in the context where someone's someone he's talking to someone that doesn't like swearing, so he's like, oh yeah, I know you don't like swearing, but I don't give an F star star cunt like that. Something <laughs> like, can... that's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I do, I love this, like TV shows that swear heavily um, because... Uh... Because you're puerile. <laughs> <laughs> and Says I... the man whose favourite film of all time is Wayne's World. Yeah, right. I just... I think swearing is hilarious and um, I don't think films do enough <laughs> so there we go everyone <laughs> swearing is cool politics sucks um, um, oh actually a bit of a fun fact I, I found out about um, so the word fuck is said 135 times in, in, in the film how many times out of those 135 do you think it's Malcolm Tucker saying the word fuck Oh well, you've got that kind of mini Malcolm guy who probably says it a few times. Yeah, I found a fun. I found this weird thing about him as well. Okay, and there's well, there's quite a few people who are sort of saying it in exasperation because mm-hmm. they've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I think Simon Foster says it a lot. So how many times was it? Total? Out of 135 times. Out of 135 times, I would say 85 are Malcolm. My babes, oh my god, is this real? Are you happening? You got that? It's 86. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Shit, son, you've yeah. got some sort of like... Well, I knew Simon Foster did a lot of running around going fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, I read as well about the... I can't remember the guy's name who's like the the the, the double Malcolm character. Oh, yeah. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, him. Yeah. Um, apparently there's this thing called like, the Fraser Crane theory, 
or the Frasier theory or something, mm-hmm. where say Niles Crane. Frasier. Oh my god, they should make a Frasier film. I'm amazed they didn't. Oh, I would absolutely watch that. They didn't make a Frasier film, they didn't make a Friends film. It's interesting, isn't no, it? No, yeah. Oh, I love Frasier. It's, I think it's my, we've got the whole box set of Frasier, and I must have watched that every single day mm-hmm. for quite a long time. Probably time to explain how this connects to <laughs> so, the yeah. loop. So the Frasier Crane thing, I don't even know if it's called the Frasier Theory, but it's the same. The Niles character in Frasier was supposed to be like Frasier plus. So he was like the 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 an an inflamed Fraser. I see. And so that 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 character whose name I can't remember. Mm. He was the, he's the he's the Fraser theory. So he's like the Niles Crane he, character. He's, he's, he's Malcolm. He's plus. Malcolm Tucker off the leash. Plus 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 plus. A yeah. Plus. Because I suppose and I suppose the way they illustrate that is Malcolm Tucker goes around threatening people and hissing and but he's pretty much all talk and he gets outmaneuvered by the mm. end of the film. Whereas this mini Malcolm character, whose mm. name we can't remember. He's the one who's prepared to destroy a fax machine. Yeah, you know, yeah. for no. It turns out for no, no reason. reason. Yeah. Like um, I should also mention that the the, uh, the overall IMDb reviews for Wayne's World are seven out of ten. So if you're talking critical oh. acclaim, In the Loop beats it. But In the Loop's more of a critics' film, isn't it? And I don't think you can really call IMDb ratings as critical acclaim. <laughs> no, true, <laughs> right. That's like how many I think booms has FHM given it? Is it? Is, <laughs> <laughs> isn't IMDb, isn't IMDb, I thought it was a mixture of critics and critical reviews and public reviews. Yeah, but my mum would call her a critic if she's going to put a review on uh, on. A point, ta- point, point taken, point taken. So uh, yeah, that was our picks. In the Loop and Wayne's World were our picks for a film based on a TV show. Uh, I think we agree that Wayne's World is the one that we come back to again. Yeah. Um, but of course, there are loads of films that we've missed. I'm sure some of you have been very frustrated we've not picked your favourites. Um, do get in touch. Uh, we've got an email address. It's filmclubpod at gmail.com. Hello, future Adam here, dropping in a quick edit to give you our correct Twitter address, which is at filmclubpoduk. That's at filmclubpoduk on Twitter. Please do come and find us. Okay, back to my past self. We would love, we'll put a poll on Twitter to see which uh, you think is the best of Wayne's World and In the Loop uh, in this category. And also, please do let us know about films you think we've forgotten, uh, any trivia about either of these films uh, that, that we didn't mention, um, and perhaps suggestions for future categories. Um, so that brings us to the end of the episode. What we like to do is give the jar a rustle. You probably can't hear it. It's very quiet. We should put like some rice in it so it looks, sounds a bit more... Yeah, that's true. We've not really, not really thought this through. Paper doesn't really make a lot of noise. So you pick last week's category. So I'm now going to pick the next category for the next episode. Here we go. And the category... Interesting. Don't tell the people... Oh. Uh, oh my god, this is like my dream one. It's a dream category for you. <laughs> you hate it. I might struggle. You genuinely will hate it, but I can immediately in my mind I can think of five. Yeah, that we the, could do. The, the Rolodex of possible Ooh. films in your head. I can hear it flicking over. Um, so yeah, please do join us next week when we'll be revealing this category and talking about our choices for it. Uh, and yeah, do get in touch if you can. Filmclubpod at gmail.com at filmclubpod on Twitter. Uh, and please do like and subscribe us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts because it means we go up the charts more people find out about us and film club gets that little bit bigger Uh, thanks for listening thank you
Christmas Gorgeous theme music is written and performed by Tom Rosenfeld and Joe Silverstone. Uh, if you want to find out more about them and the many great bands they're in, including Mesodorm, The Spindle Ensemble and Our Man in the Field, you can go to Tom's Instagram at instagram.com slash four vertical, the number four and the word vertical, or instagram.com slash joe silver cello, that's J-O silver cello.